You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. The Trek Files, Season 10, Episode 10, Soft Side Magazine, May 1980. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Yes, all you, well, you Star Trek historians are going to love today. Hey, you tech heads. <laughs> A special breed of tech heads are going to love our episode today and our, and our guest and what he's bringing to us. Look, uh, I can't wait to dive into this. So, pay attention. Uh, Trekophile, spelled with an F. You know what to do. Go to our Facebook page. You really want to see this week's document. It's um, it's a little unseen, a uh, little unseen beauty. We're going to talk about it today, as usual. Here's an audio sample. Our page, of course, is at uh, facebook.com/slash/the-trek-files. Here's the audio sample. You want to read the whole thing. You want to get out your code book <laughs> if you really want to follow along with us. Uh, but I'll be right back with this week's special guest. Take a listen. This is the most incredible part of the story. It was a Radio Shack TRS-80 with only 4K of memory and level one basic. Yes, Radio Shack's bottom of the line $500 computer actually helped to make the Enterprise fly. Working a few hours each night for a week, Von Puttkammer made a total of 40 visuals which produced charts, graphs, or just displayed information. After writing all of the programs, Von Puttkammer had each display filmed using a special long-exposure 16mm camera loaded with color film. Some of the displays were filmed in Von Puttkammer's living room off his TRS-80 monitor. Others were made at a film lab. After the film was developed, the lab added colors to the monochrome images so that they would appear as colored displays. Oh boy, fans, Trekophiles, I, this is another little unexplored corner of, of Star Trek history and lore that um, is awesome in its own, its own right. And uh, I tell you what, with, with um, talking about the motion picture era here, obviously, and uh, some of the attention that's been, been reborn with the rebirth of that motion picture, but also thinking about the technology of today and what the pioneers at every stage had to do to, to, to create something futuristic. It's just all a fascinating story. I am so pleased to have back uh, a guest we've had on before, but it's so exciting what's been going on the last few months with the motion picture and his hand in the 4K restoration uh, heading up that team. David, fine, get in here, the executive producer of the Restoration Project, uh, working with Robert Wise originally on the project 20 years ago. We've all been enjoying it these last few months. This is a special gem, David. Come in and, and welcome back and tell us all about this. What is going on with this this article? It's amazing. Hey, Larry. How you doing? I, I'm fine. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. We found this. Uh, this is an amazing story. From, from, from Trash 80s to Jesko von Puttkammer. Ooh, you know that Trash 80 name. I almost bought one. I was, I was one of those, uh, those techies at the time that, that just wanted to know everything about 
technology. And I could, I loved where motion picture was going. Even to today, where motion picture is, it's amazing what they accomplished back then. But what's funny is, is that there were magazines like Nibble, and in this case, I think it's, uh, what's it called again? Yeah, Soft Side. Soft where, Side, yeah. Where basic programming people would, you know, get it in the magazine and they type it in. Thank God today it, the computer can read the code and just turn it into what they want, what it needs to be. But uh, it was funny. We were, re- I was researching because one of the things that we, that I wanted to fix for motion picture this time around was the damn flickering monitors on the bridge because they had the 16 millimeter monitors that were going at a certain rate and you had the, the, the camera that was going at a certain rate. And nowadays they interlock them to a certain degree, but it did cause tremendous blinking on screen, which would distract from what you're doing, what dealing right. with. So and um, anybody that's, anybody that's tried to video off in the old days off of a tv screen knows exactly what we're talking about that that differential in frame rates um and how you get that flicker and they, mm-hmm. they had to deal with the same thing for the motion picture using real film in all those bridge monitors right because everything has a, a motion aspect to it and you, you have to have a, a frame by frame in order for your brain to take it in as motion so i like i love the test people are doing where they find frame rates that are perfect with a helicopter and it makes it look like a helicopter is just floating that you don't see the you don't actually see the blade because they got the timing to be absolutely correct for the for the image right. but in this case for all those bridge monitors they weren't little computer screens actually they had to do 16 millimeter projectors and that caused so much noise on the bridge that they had to re- re-record all the lines and we were so right. blessed that the paramount uh, archivist people found uh the adr tapes that they recorded to replace all that dialogue so that's one of the reasons why director's edition has such a wonderful audio upgrade because you don't have the sound of those uh uh all of the uh the projectors going in the background that were even on some of the additional footage because they didn't have the loop dialogue just going into a backstory and now we had all of that so definitely could have cleaner audio plus earlier generations well let's 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 talk about that later i want to get back to this amazing piece yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this A, Jesko von Puttkammer, Lee Cole, who did all the graphics on the movie. I mean, we watched the motion picture now, and you had the rest, the same thing they fought to, to produce it the flicker, getting the f- actual film. There was nothing mm-hmm. digital. So they're actually having individual projectors showing at those screens, which made the noise, which they had dealt with. Right. And then you all in your restoration and cleanup. But to go back to the root of this, that the original, their, their guy from NASA, Jesko von Puttkammer, is writing code and then um, and then getting it through or get you know animal analog film and colorizing and that's what they used and that this this piece here is <laughs> reprinting it, the code yeah it's it's so rare that they actually put the code in the magazine for something that would be in a movie so right to actually have the, the 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 magazine publish all of it and it's and they just put it in one long long line whereas you just run certain lines of the code and it can reproduce the graphics. Now, when we were looking for the original source material to possibly change the ones on the screen, that's when uh, we were alerted to this magazine. And the idea was maybe get an emulator and go recreate them until we found out that there were better ways to deal with the the, uh, screen images to make them not flicker. But at the same time, it's amazing to find that Puttkammer's original code that was used, even in Trek 2, as as I was pointing out earlier to you, Mm Uh, is in this magazine, and you'll you have it for everybody. But it was published in 1980, and you know the 44 million dollar Star Trek game is the article, and then you have this simple little home computer 
which at the time was insane that you'd have computers at home. I mean, there was the Apple II was starting everything, and then the TRS Tandy Radio Shack 80 Model 1, which uh, started that whole revolution in those stores that just helped to have that code and that you had rudimentary uh, graphics of just text and little boxes the size of a discovered character to be made into something that could then be in the movie and then still stand the test of time to make it in Trek 2 is great and yeah. a pivotal moment of Trek 2 as well. Well, the ba and, and literally basic. I started to say this basic code and, you know, B-A-S-I-C. Simple me code meaning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> These are absorbed <laughs> These are, this is actually code that somebody using basic could do at home now, I guess. I don't know if, right. I don't know how many people are writing in basic, but I learned how to, how to program in basic on an, on a TRS-80. I think it was a model three at the time. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not enough. I am not a coder or that, but I did my contact with, and I didn't own a trash 80, a TRS-80 from Radio Shack, but my first I want to say the first computer I dealt with really was this when I was first in news. They, this, these were the first portables our newspaper had. And when I went over to, good Lord, I would have to go get one of the dirt, you know, one of the entry jobs. I had to go to the county fair building and hand type all the county fair winners of all the livestock and the home ec and all that, all those contests. And, I, and I, it was actually a TRS-80 with phone couplers where you mm -hmm. put the phone in the, you know. So that's my, uh, my yeah, brush with pioneer greatness. It's yeah. hard to imagine that you were doing that at that time, and that was the time that they made motion picture. 79, mm -hmm. or even before that, and how it looks, right. even it works today with a lot of the, the graphics and everything else. I never feel that it looks outdated. It doesn't, at least the bridge. Oh, no, it doesn't. But see, and I didn't realize that, I didn't realize Jesko von Puttkammer had a who I used to love I, when I was in college. I did a, a on on the speech and debate circuit the year I did that. Mm -hmm. I had an expository speech about Star Trek, and yeah, okay, right. Speak from where you know, and I just and my professor who was our coach just loved it. Every time I would say Jesko von Puttkammer, he would just die laughing because it was yes. such a great name to say. Yes. But he was he was there. He kind of modernized and updated the concept for what the whole idea of subspace. Mm -hmm. He kind of tied it down and moved us along from the basic idea in the 70s, in the 60s and 70s. But the idea that the science advisor, Yesko, was the one who, you know, had such a hand in creating and filming this. And of course, they ran through these initial loops and they went to find other sources to run through the projectors for that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Lee Cole doesn't get enough attention either. She was that first generation uh, trying to do you know out of the box graphics so many people who worked on this film and so many designs that were created i still talk about the, the fact that uh i somewhere i saw a photo of andy probert on the set i mean at his at his uh his uh drafting table and as he's working the the, the thing i noticed was on the side next to him was a, a different star trek logo with a different typeset and it's next generation but he was there in 79 and it uh -huh. said star trek you know, in that typeset that was created and that that eventually became Next Generation. It was so many ideas that were mm -hmm. created with with all that time and experience that they had. Well, a lot, yeah, a lot of what if that spun off, didn't get used at the time, but hung around, if nothing else, in Andy's brain. 
Yeah, I mean, that's even the reason that that a lot of the effects elements still existed is that the studio wanted to keep anything that could possibly be reused for something else. And, you know, you know, just looking at Next Generation and even Trek 2, the Klingons are in Trek 2 from motion picture. You didn't have to go shoot it again. We had that footage. So even when they went through, that's one of the reasons why all of that material still existed is that they knew how they had all these spinoffs and everything else that would keep it. So um, I also like the fact that 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 Chesco knew that it's not flashy it's content because what he had in these these computer programs was very very simple but it told a whole story by what the content was and how it moved and you know that's what that was brilliant he was trying to make story specific or story supportive uh graphics even though they seem random, random right to us right yeah. and as i was saying nominal that was made for motion mm -hmm. picture yet suddenly now we know that it means that the warp engines are offline and they need to be online and the big word nominal across the screen with but the most blockiest graphics in the world was what we found and we had and i believe it's in this uh this code as well so you too could actually find some old apple some old uh, trs 80s and put them in your monitors on your bridge set run you the code and it, huh? not have a trend have a have a, a 16 millimeter projector this time around and the, the state of emulators and recreators and and digital hobbyists out there i know uh the minute we publish this code, I'm waiting to see how it pops up with, you know, fans doing that. But someone you know, you're, has you're to do it and then capture the image and then put it online because I even want to see what it's And share it like. with us. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, you, you mentioned the nominal screen. The minute I saw that, I went, wait, this is the, the mains are back online, sir. And it right. was like, but that was two. Well, it, but yeah, they did hang on because everything digital or uh, digital, why not? Everything technical was so pushing the envelope and expensive. And they paid for it with, uh, you know, blood and, and treasure getting this movie done. Blood, that yes. they were going to hang, they were hanging on to everything. And even, you know, Next Generation's roots, 86 and 87, mm -hmm. are only six, seven years later after this. So we And there were still we elements that were reused beyond that. So it, right. just, it just made sense. And it was kind of the first renewable, uh, well, it, not first, but it was one of the renewable franchises. They knew it was going to build and grow. And, you know, Trek 2's idea was let's do it at a low, lower budget. Well, let's use all of that amazing design that they used before. And it just made sense. But even looking through it, I had, you know, daydreams of, okay, this would be great for telling this story or, you know, moving along. Right. So, well, and, this, this, uh, you know, soft, this, uh, uh, semi-professional magazine soft side I'm, I'm not you know where however they got it printed. i think that was but, professional at the time but this uh well yeah and it was the emerging yeah. tech and computer field so it was they were lucky to have you know a color cover or whatever but i'm just saying this so lance you by miklas, the <laughs> this lance miklas that wrote this and he's talking about a fan Lynn i mean if any of those folks or anyone that knew them you know has a connection to what's going on with the magazine and what's behind his story here that's um It'd be great to hear from from Lance. They'll have to check on Facebook and see if this guy's there. <laughs> We're talking about forty, you know, forty years ago, over forty years ago. Mm -hmm. But the idea that, yeah, you're right. The idea that that uh, they're publishing the code, you know, Yesco's code is in here, and someone who knows basic can pick it up and and do it today. And and if yeah. you've got a museum quality TRS eighty, <laughs> you can try to recreate the whole experiment or or your watch. <laughs> With the power that that the watch has nowadays versus everything else. Well, this is this is. I mean, how's the four? How's the reaction to the four K release been? I know we just had a week ago. You had kind of a, you just had a version one point one at that at the Dolby Theater, uh, with some of the tweaks you've made. But what's been the reaction? How how have people responded? I hope 
hope people have been able to find it, whether it was streaming. And, and of course, the, the ultimate, though, is to see it in a theater. We'd love to see that. It's, it's wonderful. And the more I hear from people that they want to see it in the theater, the more I'm able to go back and say, hey, guys, you know, 45th anniversary is coming. It'd be nice to see something happen. And uh, I, the studio has been great so far. So there's always a possibility. I like to think there's always possibilities. It, it is wonderful that it's, I keep saying how, how special it is that everyone's so vocal about how much of a difference the film makes to them and how they're just somebody the other day told me that uh, he was about to watch the film for the first time with his daughter and she's 14 and he said she has no attention span and and he sat there for five minutes explaining well you know it's slow and it has this and this issue and that issue and you got to sit through it and he said and he knew that she was never going to survive watching the movie and he sat down and throughout the whole thing, and I've heard this odd comment a number of times from people that after they explained it that way, throughout the film, the person they explained it to was saying, why did you say that? This is compelling. I'm into this. And she sat through the whole film and loved it at her age. Mm-hmm. And I think it just works so much better with today's audiences. But also, you saw it. You know how it is that it really does grab people and, and it moves along telling the story on its own, which I love. So I love that it's working for people. And I just wish we can get the word out from, to more and more people uh, in general, because we know the Trek, mm-hmm. the, the Trek fans get it. Now we got to tell everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the more that happens and the more you send messages to me or post everywhere, hey, you know, I'd love to see, you know, the Enterprise on a screen that makes it more than just this little dot and just see it on a massive giant mm-hmm. screen, there's great possibilities and I'd love to see it. And again, our Dolby event was phenomenal. It's absolutely gorgeous. Picture and sound just couldn't, couldn't be TV. I feel like the whole Voyager, the bowl, the Voyager temple scene at the end, I feel like I'm just now seeing that scene for the first the time. The brain complex, Much yeah. less the entire, every lovingly leveled complaint that fans have, you know, all the memes and tropes over there, I'm saying this again, all for everything from you know, Star Trek, the motionless picture and the fact that it's all gray and blue and there's no color and it's echoing between the ambient noise that's about the sound that's in the back of all the rooms, the Enterprise, mm-hmm. the color regrading, everything top to bottom, much less the visual effects and some of those new scenes. Anything we've said, even in jest over the years, you can't you cannot say any more about this movie. So everybody needs to find uh, however you can get to it, you know, as, as big a screen as you can watch it on as possible. And hopefully uh, everybody will have a chance to, to, to experience that. And as I say now, it's it, it, it's 2.0. So mm-hmm. that odd number thing is gone. <laughs> okay, very good. Touche. David, thank you so much for... I Thank you for sharing this article. This is amazing. Yeah, uh, it's wild. I, and I, I, I literally hope someone out there takes the code and tries to recreate some of these and share it with us. I, I'm sure they will. I mean, I just hadn't had the time to even try it myself, but I have some great things in the works. There we go. Well, we'll check back in with you later, Dave, but thanks for right. thanks for joining us this week. I hope everybody enjoys it. It was great. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. All of our documents and your chance to comment, of course, please do, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek in Portal 47. Uh, yeah, that's me at LarryNemechek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts, too, at our Tee Public shop. Trek well, everybody.
This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.